What I'm going to talk about today is knowing the Savior. We're going to take the first part of that mission statement and talk about those three words in particular. And that my, my theme today is that little words impact a lot of things. And again, the e-news that came out earlier, I made that mention that uh, when, you know, when Gloria and I were married, uh, those were very significant words, and we were up front in front of the church family, and we both said basically two words that forever changed our lives. What were they? I will. I do. They changed our lives forever. And then I remember when Gloria uh, was pregnant with the boys, and, uh, you know, the initial uh, word uh, that I received was, a, you know, a big smile, and, you know, just a couple words, I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, what a, what a joy that is. And it's life-changing. I've got evidence with one of them here today. It's life-changing, you know, where you go to the hospital and, and they say it's, it's a boy or it's a girl. You know, it's, it's absolutely life-changing. And maybe some of you have had the other extreme where you've ever been let go of a job and the boss says, you're fired. <laughs> you know, two words that are really important. But small words, simple words, really impact our lives, sometimes for, for bad, but oftentimes for good. And the theme I want to build upon today is exactly that. How do these three simple words, knowing the Savior, how do these three simple words impact my eternity? Knowing the Savior, how does that impact my eternity? And I'm going to go through, I believe there's three ideas that we can build upon here. First of all, number one is this, by what they describe. Knowing the Savior, by what they describe, we can see the significant impact eternally of these words. First of all, a little bit of preface. Year is 2011, so a long time ago, we went through a process of strategic planning at Abiding Savior. And it's interesting, there was a lot that came out of that. For over a year's time, about 30 individuals, lay people and some leadership, met on Saturdays for a better part of a Saturday once a month, and sometimes even more than that, more frequent. And what we did is that we went through every aspect of ministry at Abiding Savior, and we wanted, to, we wanted to improve, all right? And there were a lot of changes that were good that came out of that, a lot of affirmations that came out of that. But it's interesting, one of the things that was endeavored to do was to, should we update our mission statement? <laughs> Guess what the answer was? A resounding no. You, knowing the Savior and making him known, there is probably no better mission statement for a church than those words. And that's what our mission statement has been since day one. Knowing the Savior, making him known. And that's what we're about. So as you come to Abiding Savior, whether you're a guest or a member or a friend or whatever that is, this is what we need to be about, knowing the Savior. That's the ultimate purpose of not only why we exist, but really why every church exists. We have to know the Savior. So as we think about that, a couple things I'm going to talk about at this point. What they describe, knowing the Savior. I want to preface all of this by saying this, that anything and everything we know about God has to be revealed to us. So, so God reveals himself to us. That's the only way that we can come to know him is how he reveals himself to us. So that's going to be the premise I'm going to start with, that God, first of all, he has to reveal himself to us if we ever hope to know who he is or what he is. And I'm going to talk about two primary ways by which God reveals himself to us. Number one way is through nature or through creation. All right, Romans chapter 1. Let's go there. Let's take a, just a moment. Let's open up to Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 19 and 20 in particular. Go with me. Keep your thumb in Philippians, but go to Romans uh, 19, or Romans 1 rather, verse 19 and 20. Paul is writing about this. And just listen to what Paul says, verse 19 and 20. It says, Because that which is known, again, that word known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood that which, had, that which has been made so that they are without excuse. All right. So first of all, I want us to recognize that as we think about that phrase, this idea of, of how God reveals himself, he reveals himself, this is called the natural knowledge of God. This is the knowledge that I, I would say, again, any rational realistic, logical human being, as you step outside or even as you look at creation under a microscope or anything, what's something you're going to say? Wow, there's a God. This just didn't blop onto us through a pile of mud and water somewhere, all right? This, this is, this is, there's something more here. And the idea that creation, what Paul's talking about there, is that creation literally screams this to us. That man, just by looking outside at the world around him, looking at nature, looking at even the, the miracle of the human body. We could have 10 sermons just on the miracle of the human body, and I have some doctors here today. You can verify that. The, the, the complexity of the human body is so phenomenal, there's just no doubt that there is a creator. So creation itself speaks to the fact that there is a creator. That is what we would call the revealed knowledge of God or knowledge through nature or the natural order. We can get it from that. Secondly, though, not only is there a natural knowledge of God, I would say that there is a supernatural knowledge of God or a revealed knowledge of God. That knowledge is not evident as much in creation. And that is a knowledge that comes to us through a singular source. And that singular source is the Word of God. You see, God has revealed Himself in creation. Every sunset, every sunrise, uh, every action of the stars and moons and planets, they all speak to God. But it is in the Word of God in the Holy Scriptures that we truly come to know who this God is. It's through the study of God's Word that God reveals Himself to us. And all of history is littered with religion after religion after faith system that looks only to the creation... <laughs> to worship God and refuses to look at the word of God. And you know what Paul calls that in Romans chapter 1? He says that causes men to become liars. When, when they deny the word of God, when they deny uh, that, that, that there is a God even, that they become liars. And I want us to recognize that it, that is a knowledge that just doesn't come to us through creation, but it comes to us through the word of God. And by the way, if you could summarize... If you could summarize, and this is, this is for the kiddos today that are, let's say, seven years and younger. If you're seven years and younger today, I want you to tell me something. If I were to say all of the Bible could be summarized in one word, one name, what is it? Come on. Jesus? She said who? She's eight. <laughs> Oh, all right. The answer is Jesus. I don't care if you're eight years old or 80. That's a great answer, all right? Jesus. That's the red thread of the Bible all the way through. That's the, that's the answer. So when we want to know about God, what we have to do, we got to learn about Jesus. And it's, it's Jesus. The story of the Bible is Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. The New Testament looks back to him. But all of the scriptures, old and new, 
speak to Jesus. He, he is that red thread, if you would, that binds both Old and New Testaments together. So as we come to that place of wanting to, to know God, of, of understanding the word knowing the Savior, we, we know God through knowing the Savior and through the Scriptures. So what's it mean to know the Savior? First of all, remember last week we talked about the word knowing. We talked at some depth about that, and I won't go into all that again. But I do want to preface it that the word knowing is a word that is not just an intellectual knowledge. But rather, the word knowing implies an intimacy of relationship. And it's a word that's used in the Bible to describe a sexual intimacy between husband and wife. It's the idea of this knowing that you really know somebody. Not just know about them, but you really know them. And what this word does is it includes the idea of our will, our mind, our body, our soul, and our strength. Every aspect of who we are is engaging in this relationship of knowing the Savior. It's kind of like having... Uh, an atlas or a map and you find a place on the map that you want to go uh, that you want to go and visit and uh, like example I'm, I'm, I grew up in a town close by Abercrombie, North Dakota right? So if you want to learn about Abercrombie, right? If you're going to go to Abercrombie and spend your vacation or Gelshoot, you get out a map, you find out where it's at on a map, you can learn about the population. You might even be able to get a Google map thing and see a picture of the main street but how are you really going to know about Gelshoot or Abercrombie? What do you got to do? You got to go there, <laughs> You got to live there, right? You got to experience the sights and sounds. <laughs> you know, that's the only way to know it. And that's what that word knowing means. It's not just knowing about something, but it's being in a relationship. And that's the difference between what I call religion and uh, relationship. It's, it's all about this. It's about this idea that in a religion, a religion focuses upon what we do. That's, that's what a religion focuses on. And, and the world is full of religions, what we do. The difference is it's not about what we do. It's not about religion. It's about what? It's about a relationship. And the vital difference between religion and relationship is that a religion talks about what we do. A relationship talks about what he does or what has been done. And that's the difference. And at that point in our lives when we come to recognize that, that I can't save myself, and at that point when I come to recognize that it's not about what I do, but it's about what Jesus has done, that's that point where we begin to really know the Savior, when we get to know what, what he's done for us. And I want us to recognize how important that that is in our lives, that we come to that place that this is not just religion, but it's a relationship, that we understand what has been accomplished for us by Christ. Knowing the Savior, the, is a word that would be very definitive and I, I, I appreciate the fact that maybe you caught this. It's, notice it's not knowing a Savior, as in there's many. It's knowing the Savior, there's only one. And it's significant because that word Savior, of course, is a word that means somebody that preserves us from danger or somebody that rescues us from danger. And I think what's significant to recognize, of course, is that all the way through Scripture again, who, who is that Savior? I mean, there's no doubt in Scripture. Who is that Savior? Who, who is that one that saves us? Who is the one that delivers us? It's who? Jesus. Very good. It's Jesus. So what I want to think about, though, is that we think about this Savior, Jesus, I want you to recognize something, that as we come to know him, we recognize him as Savior and Lord. But I want us to know something, that he delivers us, he preserves us, he protects us, not only 
for the life to come. And oftentimes we think about eternity and we think about being in heaven and all these things. We think about how great it's going to be in eternity. But I want you to know something today, that Jesus saves you. He is your Savior, not, not just for eternity, but in the present. And what he saves us for in the present is the power of sin in one's life. He grants to you and he grants to me the freedom to overcome sin. Yes, we're free of judgment in the end, but in the meantime, we are free from the power of sin and its grips upon us. Now, are any of you going to live perfectly in the freedom that Christ has won for you? No. <laughs> we're all going to sin and we're all going to fall short. That's why we need a Savior. But I want us to recognize that this thing of knowing the Savior is an idea of recognizing that Jesus died for my present, but he also died for my future, and my future, my present, and my past is all secure in him. That's what it is to know the Savior, is to be in this intimate relationship with him, knowing that he died in your place. That's what it is to know the Savior. And I'll never forget, this was one of the, I think, a great opportunity or a great moment in my own life when we were in Bismarck, Gloria and I and the boys, we would go see Papa and Grandma, you know, a couple, three times a year. And I'll never forget, we, were, we, liked, we wanted to talk about spiritual things. And, and, and Papa and Grandma, you know, they were of an, a generation that you don't talk about spiritual things very much. And I remember talking to Papa, uh, Emo uh, was Gloria's dad's name, and we were talking about spiritual things. And, and we asked a question that you probably have asked too. You know, Papa, if you were to die... <laughs> do you know where you would go? Would, would, you, would you go to heaven, Papa? And, and remember his answer, Gloria? Remember what Papa said initially? His initial, initial answer is, is this, and it might, might be the same in your life. Well, I hope so. I think so. And I remember both Gloria and I, we've been praying about this opportunity. We began then to share with Papa what it is to know the Savior. And I don't know if you remember, Gloria, but I sure remember the verses of the Bible that we shared that day, and they're right there on the screen. Just what we read earlier today. This is a classic statement of what occurs when we would know the Savior. It's a statement of assurance. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? You may know that you have eternal life. There's no hope so or think so. But in Jesus, there is a know so. That's the power of these words. That's why these words impact your eternity. Not only do they impact your eternity knowing the Savior, but they also impact your present. And there is an assurance that we can have as we would know the Savior. These words are powerful because of what they declare. These words are also powerful by what they deny. They make an impact by what they deny. Now, I'm going to go back to point number one a little bit. Remember we talked about the God's natural revelation in creation? And as great as that revelation is, as great as God's call to us in nature is, I want to say something today that... that maybe you don't know, that God's revelation to us in nature is insufficient for salvation. Yes, he reveals himself in nature, but by the worship of nature, we don't come to know eternal life. Right? Do you get that? That, that this idea of this, this creation, this natural revelation, is not sufficient for salvation. 
But rather, again, it's that revealed will of God through Jesus. That, that's, that's what essentially saves us. And the reason for that is this, is that as we look out at nature, as we reflect upon the mountains and the valleys and the hills and the skies and the seas and the plants and the animals and all these things, we, we can likely come to a conclusion that there is a powerful God or a powerful entity at work. But creation cannot tell you that God's judgment has been paid and the price has been paid for sin in a world that he made perfect. Creation can't tell you that. Creation cannot tell you that Jesus paid your price. Theologians call it a vicarious atonement, which just means that somebody died in your place. Creation can't say that. Creation doesn't tell you that. Now, creation does a lot of things, but creation doesn't do that. And therefore, we need to recognize that these words, knowing the Savior, it denies the fact that we can can know of salvation in any other way but through Jesus. And I want you to know today that it is possible to have a deep knowledge of God, but to be all messed up. Remember the Pharisees in the Bible? Uh, There's oftentimes conversations with Jesus and the Pharisees, and these guys were really smart fellows. They, They knew the Bible probably better than anybody, right? And they were teachers, and they knew everything. But you remember what Jesus called the Pharisees? He called them blind guides. Why is that? Because they had all the knowledge, but they failed to rightly appropriate this knowledge in their lives. And that, that's, why, that's why these words deny the fact that just a mere knowledge is sufficient. These words also deny the fact that there are several ways, that there are several options, if you would. There's only one way. And the scripture is really clear about that. John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter responds to a question Jesus had. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. And again, the idea that, that, that this thing of Jesus, this way uh, of knowing the Savior, this is not, this is not just uh, one way amongst many ways. I think another thing they deny is this. When we know the Savior, we come to realize that there's nothing more than you need to do. And I think all of us are guilty of wanting to add to our salvation. All of us want to maybe kick in a little bit. We all want to do something. That's human nature. But these words deny, knowing the Savior denies that there's anything additional you do for salvation beyond believing and beyond trusting in that. These words also, knowing the Savior, they also deny this, that this is optional. And sadly, I think so many people go through life and think that this thing of knowing the Savior is optional. You know, take it or leave it. No big deal if I do, no big deal if I don't. Dear, dear friends, that, that is a big deal. And it not only determines your present, but it also determines your future. It is a big deal. So we need to recognize what these words deny. They affirm some powerful truths, but they also deny some things that easily are woven in sometimes to our mind and to our thoughts. So by what they describe, these words are impactful. By what they deny, they're impactful. And thirdly, by what they do, they are impactful. I'm going to preface this last point just by by saying this, is that we can look uh, at this in two ways, loss and gain. And I'll begin maybe with loss, first of all. Notice what Paul, we're going to be back in Philippians, of course, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Notice what Paul says. I count all things to be loss 
in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says, later on he says, and I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, what Paul is saying is that all the things in the world uh, are but rubbish. And in fact, it's interesting, that word rubbish, a literal translation of that is the word dog, dung. Dog, doo-doo. That's, that's what Paul's saying. That all things in this world are as waste excrement is what he's saying. Literally what he's saying there. It's rubbish. It's just garbage. It's, junk. it's dog dung. And, and that's what Paul's doing. But what we need to do to remember that the, the, he's calling us to a loss, that as we come to know the Savior, there are some things that we're going to lose. And sadly, we struggle with that sometimes. I was reading this week, classic example of this. Uh, a man is sick. He's been sick for a long time. Finally, the wife talked him into going to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor. The doctor interviews him, does all kinds of tests. Uh, and he was very sick. And uh, sends him out of the office and calls his wife in and says, ma'am, your husband is very sick. He's got a rare form of anemia. And uh, it, it's going to be fatal, you know. And the wife, yeah, okay, what, what, you know, what do we do? She says, well, the good news is, doctor said, good news is this is that there is a treatment that we can apply and he'll live. He has his treatment, he'll live. So she says, well, what's, what's the treatment? And he says, well, really it concerns itself around nutrition. He says, you're going to have to get up early every morning, make bacon and eggs and toast for him every morning. And then he comes home at lunch, he's got to have a, a full spread for lunch. No, no more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and stuff like that out of the vending machine, but a full-on blown lunch. And then when he comes home, he's got to have meat and potatoes and gravy and all the fixings every night. And oh, by the way, baked goods are really good. So caramels and sweet rolls, cookies, cake, those are things that will really help this anemia. And then, oh, by the way, his immune system is shot. So you need to vacuum and dust twice a day because his immune system is really shot. And the doctor says, do you have any questions? And the wife says, no. And the doctor says, well, are you going to tell him the news or should I? And the wife says, well, I'll, I'll go tell him. So she walks into the waiting room and the guy's, you know, kind of shaking because he knows it's bad and she's kind of shaking too. And he knows, he knows, he says, it, 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 it's bad. It's, I know it's bad. Well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? And the wife looks at him and she's got tears swelling in her eyes and she says, you're going to die. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? I set you up for good. But the point is, is that sometimes we have trouble giving those things up, giving up those pleasures of the world, giving up those things that we like to indulge in, giving up those things that bring us joy, even temporally. We have a hard time giving those up. But Paul here is telling us is that part of knowing the Savior, there is going to be an experience of some measure of loss, particularly in regard to the world's pleasures, because the way God looks at things is not the same way as the world looks at them. However, all of this loss is offset by what we gain. And I believe that just in a few minutes here, about 59 seconds, what do we gain? We gain a lot. First of all, I think about the spiritual transformation that occurs. The spiritual transformation that takes us from something living to something alive, or something dead, rather, to something alive. We're transferred from death to life. I think of our worship. 
There's a transformation in our worship. No longer are we just apathetic and a bump on a log in worship, but rather there's a sense of fervency in our hearts that we would worship God. There's a transformation in our action. No longer are we just apathetic, but we will become intentional in that which we do in the activities we participate in. We'll become intentional in that. And there's also going to be a moral transformation. And that moral transformation is going to go from finding enjoyment in the things of this world to finding enjoyment in the things of God. There's going to be a moral transformation that occurs in our lives from enjoying those things that are maybe bad to enjoying those things that are good. And all of that occurs as we come to that place of knowing the Savior. There are things that are going to happen to us. That's why these words are so great. That's why they describe such a great change. But they also describe what they don't do but they also describe what they do do. And my prayer today is that we would know the Savior. I'm going to close with an example of a, a young woman, pretty controversial, well, I shouldn't say pretty controversial, but there's been some critique, of course, of her uh, transformation and conversion. I, I read about it with great interest and uh, was, was reading and listened to the testimony. And it may be a woman that some of you uh, maybe recognize, uh, Catherine von Drockenberg. Cat Von D is what she goes by. Uh, the superstar of L.A. Inc. and a couple other shows. Uh, very much into the occult, uh, into meditation and yoga, all this Eastern mysticism and, and things of that nature. And it was interesting, I was reading about her, and uh, she said that it was the COVID lockdown, that she really came to think about her spirituality. And she came to realize that she, she didn't have it right. And it was through that period of lockdown, through the reading of God's word, through the worship with God's people, that she came to a place of saving faith in Christ. And just last year was baptized in a small Baptist church in her small hometown in Indiana. And, and what I find remarkable is as she went through this interview, she commented about the transformation that occurred in her life and how she made mention of how these changes are so great. I wish I could just describe them. And I'm going to play just a, a little bit of a clip because I think there's a powerful statement that she says in this that really describes this whole thing of knowing the Savior. I started learning about transcendental meditation, and I was like, oh, like, it was always these very, like, short-lived band-aids on a sinking ship you know yes. that's kind of how I see it now I'm going to fast forward to like the first post that I ever made about talking about like throwing away my, my occult books yes. yeah and I think that everybody kind of honed in my fans included um on the witchcraft books because there was a lot more of those than there was the others but I actually threw away all my meditation books all my books on yoga all my mm -hmm. like it wasn't just the 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 stuff that people considered spooky. To me, it was like I came to this really awesome realization that, the, that night that I decided to post that, was that like, I don't want these crutches in my life anymore. I just want Jesus, and it's a very narrow, a narrow road, right? Like, I feel like all these other, like these breathing techniques, or these, um, or like spell work, or whatever, like um, nature worship, all the, these things, it's like, they're just crutches, they're not really like, my answer yeah. and so for me I would rather eliminate any distractions and this is just for what works for me you know so that was like it was a symbolic gesture I guess in a way but it was it was my first like proclaiming of where I stand with certain things and 
it was crazy to watch the reaction because in the comments it was like I literally I, I feel like you could see literal demons hissing at each other when I had read that I was, it was profound and, and the statement of course you probably glean as well is that Kat Van Bond, Bond rather or Kat Von D rather had gotten to a place where she recognized the crutches of the world and she tired of them and, and do you remember what she said she said I found myself just wanting whom wanting Jesus that's what it is to know the Savior is to desire him and to know him and to know the forgiveness that is yours because of what Christ has accomplished and I would close then with this statement to know the Savior is to know eternal life Heavenly Father this is your word for us and I thank you for it and I pray now that, Lord, as we would think on this word and pray that it would do a work in our lives, and that, Lord, if there is an individual here that, that doesn't know you, that this would be that time, God, that there would be a crying out in their heart of hearts to come to know you as Savior. And as, Lord, you're calling them, Lord. You're beckoning to them. And I pray that this beckoning would not be rejected, but that it would be received. And, Lord, I thank you that as we know you, we can have a blessed assurance. And Lord, I give thanks for the opportunity we have to know the Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.